0: Well, good morning. As you know, um, next Sunday is Easter, and it's crazy to me that it's already Easter time. uh, But that means that this Sunday is Palm Sunday. Now, just like some of the years in the past, I'm not going to preach what you might call a traditional Palm Sunday sermon. And the reason for that is, um, you know, Jesus triumphantly entering the city of Jerusalem, uh, that's important. It was a specific fulfillment of specific prophecy. But really all the hosannas, all the, all the palm branches that were waved and laid at his, at his feet as he was coming in, all the hubbub of him entering the city was really just a precursor. It was a prelude to the crucifixion. And really the crucifixion and the resurrection are the most important parts of our faith. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk about the reason behind the crucifixion just a little bit. Our text today is going to be Paul's second letter to the Corinthian believers. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, right at the end of the chapter Uh, verses 20 and 21 and what i'd like us to do today is look for just a little bit about uh about being reconciled to god through christ being reconciled to god in christ now that's really the whole point of the cross god was reconciling the world to himself in the cross that's that's the whole point of the christian faith that's the center point of history not because we deserved it not because he looked down and said you know what That Jeff's a pretty good old boy. I think that I'll just send my son to die for him. He didn't do that. He did it because of his great love for us, even though we didn't deserve it. Now, if you found 2 Corinthians 5, please stand with me in honor of God's word. And we're going to pick up reading in verse 20. Paul says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Thank you, may be seated. Now there are several things I want you to see in this text. The first though is appealing ambassadors. Appealing ambassadors. Now, he starts out talking about us being God's ambassadors in this world. Now, what is an ambassador? Well, an ambassador back then is much like an ambassador is today. Is somebody who has their citizenship in one nation or one country, but they're living in some, another country. They're, they're the representative of that nation to where their citizenship is, and in many ways they, they deliver a message to uh, the, the people where they are. They speak with the authority in many ways and, and, uh, and the, the authorization of the country from which they, from which they come. And when you think about that, that is a powerful picture of the Christian, isn't it? We live in this world. We live in this nation. We're Americans, but you know what? Our citizenship is not of this world. We sang it just a little bit ago. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Now, are we Americans? Yeah. Should we be patriotic? I believe so. But you know what? Even, even more important, even a, a deeper relationship that we have, even a deeper... Uh, I don't even know the, a good word for it, but our ultimate allegiance isn't to our nation or, or its flag. Our ultimate allegiance is to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Before we're Americans, we're Christians. Before we're anything else, we're Christians. And so we're ambassadors of God in this world. Our citizenship, Paul says, is in heaven, and we speak as God's representatives. Do you realize that whenever you go to the workplace, whenever you go to school, whenever you're in your family, you are representing God to the world? And when we speak, when we, when we encourage people to be saved, when we tell them to be reconciled to God, we are speaking with God's authorization and authority. Paul says very plainly in, uh, in verse 20, we are ambassadors of Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled, to God. Now, he makes a specific application of us being God's ambassadors. He says the, the specific application is we need to be telling people to be reconciled to God. Now, we didn't read these verses just before uh, verse 20, but what, what Paul says in those verses is that God has entrusted to Christians, he has given to Christians the word and the ministry of reconciliation. Now, what does it mean to be reconciled? It means that you have an account that's been settled. It means that there was one something between you and some other person, but that's all been done away with. There's forgiveness, and now you're in a right relationship with one another. Think about maybe a friend that you've had that you've had a falling out with. Doesn't matter who was in the wrong, but you had a falling out with them. But whoever it was, that person came, uh, came to the other party. They made it right. There was forgiveness, and then all of a sudden, that right relationship has been restored. That's what it is with us and God. Our sin has separated us from Him. And, and that sin causes us to, to have a, a separation. There's, there's distance between us and God. But whenever we come to God in faith, whenever we put our faith in Christ, we're forgiven and we're put back into a right relationship with Him. Now I want you to look at verse 20 again very carefully. Because this is what is called a passive imperative. Be reconciled to God in Christ. Be reconciled to God. That is a passive imperative. That means that it happens to us. We're not we're not the active party in the in the matter. But it's an imperative. It is a command. Now if you start thinking about that, that seems almost like a contradiction, it doesn't it? How can we be passive and yet be commanded to do something? Well it's it's passive well let, let me let me try to illustrate. Let's say that there are two nations at war with one another. We'll say nation A and Nation B. There's hostility between the nations. But as time goes on, it's obvious that Nation A is going to be the victor. If Nation B continues what it's doing, all it's going to do is is lose a lot of people and lose a lot of money and they're going to they're going to end up losing. Now what Nation A can do is meet with nation B and set forth terms of peace. Now, nation B has a choice. They can either accept the terms of peace that have been set forth, or they can continue their hostilities. Now, it's not going to end well for them, but that is a choice that they can make. That's, that's kind of a picture of what's happening with God and with us. Paul says that, that apart from Christ, there's enmity, the Bible says. It. That's kind of a weird word that we don't use anymore. Enmity, there's hostility between us and God. It's like nations at war. And we're not in the right, any. Not even once are we in the right. God is always in the right, and we're always in the wrong. Now, just like nation B can't go to nation A and say, I want to negotiate some terms of peace, that's not the way it is. It's all one-sided. The victor, nation A, sets forth the, the terms of peace. So God says, I want peace with you. Here are my terms. Put your faith in my son Jesus. Those are the terms of peace. And we have a choice to accept those. There's the imperative. We have the choice to accept those terms or reject them. Now, if we accept them, we are reconciled to God. It's not that God changes. God doesn't move. It's us that changes. Therefore, we are reconciled to him. There's the passive part. It's a passive imperative. Now, look at verse 20 again. Who is it that is responsible for sharing this message? Who is it that's supposed to tell people this wonderful truth? All of us. How do people hear that we can and should be reconciled to God? You might think they need to go to church and hear the preacher. But I want you to look around at, at, at the people that are sitting here. Think about the people who are lost and dying and going to hell in your life right now. Are any of those people sitting in this church? Are any of those people sitting in any church? And the most likely answer is probably not. And that's part of the reason that God has entrusted in and, and, and told all of us that we need to be uh, ambassadors for him. We need to be the ones to tell people because there's a good chance I'm never going to even meet some of the people in your life that need to hear the gospel. There's a good chance that some other preacher's never going to talk to that person. Maybe it's a, a loved one. They may never set foot in a church, but you know what? On a regular basis, you see them. On a regular basis, you talk to them. And that's why God has entrusted each of us with this opportunity and this responsibility to tell people about him. Because the Bible says that God's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And if only the people uh, who hear me talk, who hear me tell about the gospel, if those are the only people that are going to be saved in your life, probably not too many. God wants everybody to be saved. And so he's entrusted you as well as me with the gospel. Now, uh, go ahead and put verse 20 back on the screen if you would. I want you to look at, at verse 20. We are ambassadors for Christ. That means you. So the question isn't, maybe I'm going to become an ambassador for Christ. The question is, you're already an ambassador. Are you a good one? The question isn't, I, I might be a witness for Christ one of these days. That's not, that's not what he's saying. He says, You're already a witness. The question is, Are you a good witness or not? Now, listen, whenever we share it in, in whatever capacity, look at what verse 20 says it's God who's making an appeal through us. Now, sometimes we get discouraged. We think, well, I've told my friend about Jesus in whatever capacity that is. I've talked about God. I've I've talked about how important he is. But they just reject it. They reject me. They say, oh, don't start with all that church stuff. Listen, it's God who's making the appeal. We're his mouthpieces, so to speak. And so if they reject the message, they're ultimately rejecting God and not us. And so... uh, I would encourage each of you, and this is something that I need to remember too, because it's easy for me as a preacher to say, oh, well, I've got my basis covered. I do. I tell people about Jesus uh, from the pulpit, and that's true. But you know what? Each of us on a daily basis has, uh, has a, a requirement, an expectation, a responsibility to tell people in some capacity about the Lord. And, of course, the necessary requirement for that is that we first have been reconciled to God. And so personal application of that, number one is, have you ever been reconciled to God? Have you ever been saved? Are you a Christian? And if so, are you telling people? Let's move on. We've got appealing ambassadors. The next thing I want you to see in verse 21 is the sinless became a sin offering. Now, look at verse 21. We get the basis for our reconciliation. And understand when I talk about reconciliation, I'm ultimately talking about salvation. Now, somebody is, has said a tongue twister about salvation. I'm sure I'm going to butcher it because sometimes I talk like I've got a mouthful of marbles. Did anybody ever anybody ever use a, a voice to text with their phones? Anybody do that? I do that because I can't type on my phone with the hoot. You know, my big old thumbs, I, my fat finger things, and and so I use the the voice part of it. And sometimes I talk. And it puts all kinds of words in there that I'm not even saying. And so I'm sure that I'm going to butcher things whenever I say this this little tone twister. But if I can get through it, there's a lot of good stuff in there for, it, for you. About salvation, somebody has said, God thought it, Christ brought it, the Spirit wrought it, His blood bought it. Uh, I've, I've got to look at it because I can't remember all of it. The Bible taught it, Satan fought it, love sought it, faith caught it. And blessed is the person who can say, I got it. Now, don't ask me to repeat that because I can't do it. But listen, that's what salvation is. It's, it's a work of God. Now, why did he do it? We didn't do it, again, because of our worth. He didn't do it because of something that we've done, some sort of merit. There's, it's not based on us at all. Look at what verses 20 and 21 say again. The basis of our salvation is the reconciling work that was initiated and completed by God. Now, verse 21 says that he who knew no sin became sin for us. Now, sometimes, if you're like me, you read a sentence in the Bible and you kind of scratch your head and say, What? What does that mean that he he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf? What does that mean? Well, sometimes when we read the Bible and we come to confusing parts... It's best to start with the parts that we do know and understand and work back from there. Who is he who knew no sin? Who is that? Jesus. Okay, that's, that's an easy one. So Jesus is the sinless one. Never once did he ever sin. He didn't tell a white lie. He never, uh, he never uh, got angry with his brother. And, one of, and, and those of you who have siblings, uh, that's an impressive thing. He never committed murder in his heart. Um, he never did any of that stuff. He was sinless. Okay, so he who knew no sin, that's Jesus, was made sin or became sin on our behalf. Now, what's he talking about there? He's talking about the cross. The Bible says that that on the cross, Jesus bore our sins in his body. He bore our sins. He carried them to Calvary, as the old song says. Now, remember, when you read Scripture, that Scripture will interpret Scripture. There's consistency. And so what we read in other parts of the Bible that are easy to understand will help us understand the parts of the Bible that are not so easy to understand. So elsewhere, Scripture says things like in 1 John 4, verses 1 and 2, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. And you probably just thought to yourself, "I thought that I was supposed to clear it up. I don't know what propitiation means. That's a great big word. What does that mean? Well, I've, I've talked about it before, so it may be kind of kind of fuzzy in the back of your mind. What does what does it mean to propitiate? Propitiate means to appease. It means that that you've had some debt with someone and that's been settled. That's been uh, that's been satisfied. So in our instance, our sin wrongs God." And the wages of that sin, what it justly deserves, is punishment. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And on the cross, Jesus took the punishment that we deserved. He was our propitiation. He satisfied the debt that was owed. So then the thing that was stopping our relationship with God, our sin, has been taken care of on the cross by Jesus Christ. He was the one who bore our sins in his body. He was the one who took the punishment that we deserve, and therefore we can be reconciled to God. Now jump back down to verse 21 again. This is talking about Jesus being our sin bearer and ultimately our sin offering. The book of Hebrews, you remember, says that without the shedding of blood, there's what? No remission of sin. The Bible also in the book of Hebrews goes on to say that Jesus is not only our great high priest, but he didn't go into the Holy of Holies and offer the blood of bulls and goats because that can't sanctify anyone, can't cover anyone's sin. But he offered his own blood. So Jesus was our sin bearer, but also our sin offering. He endured death because of our sin. And so Jesus, who knew no sin, was our substitution. He was a vicarious substitution. He took the death and the punishment that we had coming us. Remember what John the Baptist said? He saw Jesus and he pointed at him. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who, what? Takes away the sin of the world. It's the same idea. He is our propitiation. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He he took the punishment that was due us. He, He was our substitute. He shed his blood for us. Why? What does it say? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him so that we might be reconciled to the Father. Now, the last thing I want you to see here is, is the last part of verse 21, and that is a righteous race. And I'm not talking about an ethnic race. The Bible says that we're a, uh, we're a chosen race. Uh, uh, we're, we're set apart. We're, we're separate. We're different as Christians. And so why did Christ die for us? He died to change our lives. He didn't die to give us our best life now. If the best life you ever experienced is in this life, that means you're going to hell because for Christians, the best is yet to come. He didn't die so that we might have a bunch of money in the bank account. He didn't die so that we'd be uh, better moms and dads and and be better uh, sons and daughters. That's not why he died. He died to give us new life. The Bible says that apart from Christ, we are dead in trespasses and sin. So what does it mean when he says that we... We might become the righteousness of God in Him. What does that mean? Well, it means that it's, it's what's called a Hebraism. It's, it's a Hebrew way of saying things, but it's different than our American uh, ideas. But here's what it means. It means that when we become Christians, we get God's righteousness. We, righteousness, we get Christ's righteousness. Does anybody like to trade? Some some people like to like to barter. An old horse trader. My father-in-law, he's well, he's the king of trades. He's he'll trade pocket knives and all sorts of things. One time he traded. He's got a, a buddy named Gary that he trades with, and Gary traded him a, a set of commentaries, and my father-in-law gave those to me. Well, I got to looking through them one day. I was uh, I was doing studying for a sermon or something, and I found a twenty-dollar bill in there. And I said Hallelujah. And so then I got to looking in some more books, and I found like three or four of those twenty-dollar bills in this set of commentaries. And I told my father-in-law, and he told he told Gary, and I think it burned Gary up that he was he, he he traded these set of commentaries and the money that was in it was worth more than what he traded for. Now listen, when we come to when we come to God, we make a trade. What we bring is our sin. Our guilt, our shame, all the wrong that we've done in our lives, and we lay it at Christ's feet. And in, in return for that, I'm glad that He's not that God's not a wheeler and dealer. Can you imagine trying to make a deal with that? And what does God give us? The Bible says that Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. That means that it's credited to our account. So get this. We have nothing. We've seen in that old song, uh, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And all we, all we do is we lay our sin and our rottenness at God's feet. And what does he do? He gives us the righteousness of Christ. What a deal. What a deal. And so when we become Christians, his righteousness is imputed to us. Jesus lived that perfect, sinless life. He never broke any of the laws. He, he, he fulfilled the law of God. He did what we couldn't do. And when we become Christians, that's credited to our account. So that his righteousness ultimately becomes our righteousness. The Bible says that in Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now if you're a Christian, that's some good news. If you're a Christian, that means that when God looks at you, he doesn't see all the wrong stuff you've done. He sees the righteousness of Christ. That's pretty great. Jesus died so that we might have a right relationship with God, that we might be reconciled to him, that we might be justified, declared not guilty. As I I considered this, as I said, I'm glad that God's not a wheeler and dealer, because if he was, would none of us get to heaven. Because God has everything, and we have nothing. In fact, if anything, we have a negative balance in our in our credit sheet. And yet God loves us so much He'll forgive those sins and credit Christ's righteousness to us. That's that's pretty incredible. And and he offers that freely. He doesn't say if you will do this, that, and the other, then maybe You can get to heaven. Maybe you can have your sins forgiven. It's a free gift of salvation. Now, the question is, why wouldn't somebody go for that? Somebody has said that in the cross, quote, the innocent was punished voluntarily as if guilty, that the guilty might be gratuitously rewarded as if innocent. And I I just like that sentence an awful lot. Have you ever been reconciled to God in Christ? Have you ever had your sins forgiven? Have you ever come to Him in faith and ask God to forgive you, to give you new life? Because if not, I, along with Paul, beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And if you have, if you're a Christian, you might say, well, this doesn't really apply to me. There are two truths I want you to see. First, sometimes we get sin in our lives. We do wrong things. We, we think wrong things. We're looking at the wrong things. Listen to the wrong things. Say the wrong things. But you know what? You don't need to get resaved when that happens. You don't become less of God's child whenever you do those things. You're still a child. But that relationship is... there. There's... There's something in there hindering that. That's, that's sin. And forgiveness is still found in the cross. It's still paid for by Jesus. And maybe you have something in your life you need forgiveness for. Again, you don't need to get saved again, but you do need to be made right with him. So that's the first thing. The second thing I want you to remember is Paul says that we are ambassadors for Christ. You are God's representative in this world. A lot of people in this country claim to be Christians, but I think if everybody that claimed to be a Christian actually was a Christian, America would look a lot different. You know, we are God's ambassadors. The question is, are you being a good one or a bad one? Our citizenship is in heaven, so we should be living according to the dictates of our king. Do you live according to the dictates of the Bible, what God says in Scripture? Or do you live just like the world does? Maybe you need to to commit to doing better about that. Why don't you stand with me as the musician comes? And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. with nobody looking around, I just want to give you a chance to respond to the gospel. What's the gospel? The gospel is that we're all sinners. There's nothing good in us. Nothing that deserves salvation. Yet God, in his great love for us, sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. that we might be reconciled to God. There's not a big process that you have to go through to do that. The Bible says, it means turn from your sin, repent and believe. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray for uh, I pray for each one as we're all God, for the person who's uh, hearing me today that's never accepted Christ, God, I pray that you would Let them see the the wickedness of their sin and the incredible grace that you offer. God, for the Christian who's uh, who's struggling with sin, Lord, I ask you to help them find forgiveness. Help us all be good ambassadors for you. Help us to live like uh, we don't belong here. Let people see a difference. And let us not be different just for the sake of being different, but let us be different because our viewpoints, our mindsets, the way that we talk, the way that we act, the way that we respond, is so different from the people of this world that gets attention. Lord, help us all to, uh, to share about you in some capacity in our daily lives. We ask these saints in Jesus' name.